Love and Metaxa. I tasted you at 16 when my cousin died of cancer. Everyone had hollow eyes like the depth of empty jars. Months, years, Uncle G was the one who didn't speak. He swallowed too much death in his ancient bloodline before the age of 23, silent death. I tried you, funeral one, you said hello from the bottom of a tiny shot glass while film reeled at your wake. Dead first cousin, first of firsts in the coffin, yellow copper skin, tubes and ICU rooms. I cannot drink away, Metaxa. I embraced you while dancing Greek, knees dirty on the ground with hands in the air, mouth around your home, clapping beats in the air. You warmed me up, made all the pain dissipate. Seconds, minutes, heat, waves took deep rooted hurt away. Go, 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 put your lips on me, girl. I lifted you, brown neck exposed, silent paths to your taste, flooding down, spinning barefoot, your entrance a secret winter lover. One lucid party after another, a memorial, one wedding, the Zorba dance, one more mechanical shot, 40 more days of customary darkness. Never cheers at a Greek funeral. There are crystal rules, knowing when to appear. Your ancient ghosts kissing dried cheeks, charming nights as lovers do. An imaginary friend comforting me and making me sick. I vomited you up and backed out away until I dreamt of it more to bring back our dead in one more shot. Go, go, go. You're listening to Good Is In The Details. I'm Gwendolyn Dolsky. And I'm Rudy Salo. And you just heard poet, Canadian author, erotic romance writer, Christina Stregas, read her poem, Love and Metaxa, from her collection of poetry, Love and Metaxa. And in this podcast, we have Christina to talk about her latest collection. We are also talking about writing in general, the writing process, what is her process, how have things changed since she started as writing, and the value of poetry, and a little bit about romance writing and the value of the romance novel. And self-publishing. Christina is a well-known in self-publishing, and we discuss the merits of self-publishing. You know, she's done very well for herself by doing that. I mean, being rated in the top 100 of Canadian poets uh, is not an easy feat. And she has, I'll just say, she has an excellent Twitter feed. I'm going to link it to the show notes because if anyone here is interested in writing or if you just feel like being inspired, she has got a great, great Twitter account. She's also on Instagram. You want to talk about the fly? Oh my God. (laughs) That's right. While we were recording, I had a fly issue. And it ended up being part of the show. Did my poem about the fly make it on the part of the show? I Yeah, I think I kept it. I think I kept it in. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I just want people, <laughs> I just want people to realize that I'm a poet and I didn't even know it. <laughs> well done, Rudy. Let's talk poetry. First question for you yes. is, is, I know what metaxa is. I know it's a Greek brandy. But let me just ask the obvious question. When you're speaking of Metaxa in this mm-hmm. actual poem and in your book title, you are referring to the liquor, correct? It's I not am so, referring not... to the liquor. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, if you know anything a little bit about the Greek culture, Metaxa plays an instrumental vital role in our traditions because we usually drink Metaxa at weddings. And when we're dancing Greek in shot glasses while we're doing our zivikya or, you know, that dance when we're one person and you line them up and you use your mouth and you have a shot of metaxa. Uh, we have them at funerals, at wakes. So when people come over to your house or somebody dies, we have to have metaxa. We bring a bottle of metaxa. 
So we're always having Metaxa in our house. People come over, want a little shot of Metaxa. It's a brandy. It's an amber spirit. It's a, like a liqueur. So that's the first what, time you had it was at 16. Was actually at 16. It's actually when my cousin died of cancer at 23 yeah. years old. So that was my first experience with death and with Metaxa and with and it has that whole connotation of for me when I think of it of death. And there's so many people that have died. Wow. I, first, I was exposed to death at a really young age. I mean, for 16 was young for me when my first cousin died and I was there and I went to it and I experienced it all. People crying, lamenting. I mean, it was just very traumatic for me. Throughout the good events, the bad events, there's always been Metaxa there and it always soothed. And so that poem is a little bit of an ode to Metaxa, if you'd like. Your work is so beautiful. Thank I'm just, I'm, I mean, I'm almost, You're I'm almost speechless because, which I'm not usually, but it's just that your work is so good and I'm just, um, I'm so touched. I'm Thank so you. Moved. Thank you. Well, there's, like I said, there's such a richness to your poetry. And how long have you been writing poetry? Is it something from when you were younger that is just part of your core? It's just part of who well, you are? Really from young, when I was in high school, I started writing poetry. I started writing it in class and, you know, people were telling me about their heartbreak and, oh, could you write me a poem for my boyfriend? And I would write their poems and write poems. And then the girls or the boys would give the poems to their ex-boyfriend. <laughs> I mean, it just started like that. And I started writing so many poems and then in my journal and I couldn't stop. It was just yeah. coming out of me. And I liked listening to people's stories about their heartache and their heartbreak. And then I would go into the first person. So I like writing in the first person. And a lot of the times when I write in the first person, I put myself in that person's place easily. Mm-hmm. And I'll write the poem even though you might think it's first person, it's me, it could be anybody else. So in this book, I did change it to third person a lot because I tried to actually use other uh, form and techniques, not just first person narrative. So it could be a little bit different and experimental. So I did try different techniques in this book, which I hadn't done in my other books. And it's a bit more, they're a bit more detailed and intricate as well. But when I was young, I mean, I would just write and write in my journals and I wrote poetry from a young age. I was exposed to it from a young age as well in high school. And as well, I listened to lyrics and Jim Morrison and I bought his albums and, you know, I went to the library and I just started reading all the classics. Because back then there was not much. You just go to the bookstore. I mean, I'm 52. So you'd go to the bookstore or the library and whatever classical poetry you would find. Right now, if you go to the bookstore, there's aisles and aisles and there's so much poetry. But uh, then it was the classics. Uh-huh. You read the 18th century poets, 19th century Shakespeare. And then when I was older and I went to university and I studied English literature, I studied a lot of the poetry in class, analyzing poetry and in depth, right? That layers upon layers of poetry that I read. And that helped me grow as a writer as well, right? Because if I look back, I read what I wrote back then and it's so immature and I think, oh, that's infantile. But I mean, I've evolved into a much better writer from back then, because when you're st- when you write for 30, 40 decades, right, <laughs> you just yeah. evolve and you change. And I find like back when I was younger, there was just my notepad and my notebook. That's it. There was nothing else. Oh, I would only write in journals. And now, of course, there's the internet. And, and that's the only way I, I actually exposed myself was the internet. Like in my 30s, when I wrote, I started a blog and I started to share my poems. Then I thought, oh, I'm actually good. Oh, I did. you don't just think that you're terrible as a writer. You don't think that you're any good. I don't, I, at least in my, even when I write something now and I'll reread it and I'll think, oh, that's not good. I could have done better. Yeah, I think, right? well, that's the imposter syndrome, I think. But the, that's actually a healthy thing. It's the per- 
person who thinks that they are flawless that is actually problematic. Because I think that when you recognize or when you have that humility, then that gives you the opportunity to keep growing, to keep learning, to become a better writer. I know I I do, like, I still have, as you can see, just notepad, pen. (laughs) I have post-it notes everywhere. In every purse, there's pen and paper. And I know um, a friend of mine wanted to write a book and was asking me about different programs you can use on the computer. This person had never written anything before. And I said, you just, there's no computer program that will make you a writer. You literally just have to sit down and write. And to me, that's like somebody buying the exercise machine that doesn't actually make you fit. You know, you have to just actually do the work. But um, I think I wanted to ask you something about the journaling. I was I was thinking about this for myself, yes. that um, journaling versus the poetry is that for me, I know personally, I journal as well, but there is something about crafting the emotion into a poem that somehow is more liberating and freeing. Like I feel more healed after writing a poem, even yes. good or bad, you know, like f- there is something about it that feels more healing than journaling. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, the poem is such an exposure of your own inner self that I, I would imagine putting it out there that you're in a way sharing something that's almost even more personal than a journal. Yeah. What do you, you think? I think that when you're writing a poem, it's instant. It's like, you know, when you write a novel, it'll take you weeks, months, years, and you start and you, by the time, you, oh my goodness, what was the first chapter about? And you go back on your timeline. I do this all the time, even though I have notes and post-it notes and it takes so long, but then you write that poem and in, you start it and you, you could finish it in one minute, in two minutes, in five minutes. And you, you can encompass in that poem, the past, the present, the future, mm-hmm. right? In one page and you're finished and you say, whew, I wrote a nice poem there. I just find it, you can accomplish so much in one poem, whereas other art forms, it's not as simple. But to craft it and to edit it and to make it perfect, that's another story altogether. But to just write poem, like first draft in a journal or on, a, on your laptop, I find definitely it's, it's gratifying. Do you think, because uh, I'm kind of combining the two things of what you just said. You said when you were younger, there was this like kind of classical poetry, but then later on, there's been an explosion, if you will, in poetry. And now there's much more availability. And I agree with you. I mean, I definitely see more poetry out there than I ever have before. And I'm, yes. I have friends that have told me that they're, that they're poets. Me having written one novel in four parts over a period of time, um, I, I could only imagine how difficult that would be about writing a novel or you know doing it over years, as you were saying. Do you think that poetry is possibly exploded in both the reader and the writers because our attention span and our time yeah. is so constrained? It's crazy because of phones, we have we, we think we have all the time in the world, but really our attention spans, I feel, has, has definitely dropped. Yeah. And I'm curious, as a writer yeah. and a consumer of poetry, what your thoughts are. I have to tell you, very good. I was, I've been thinking about that, and I've been talking about that with my friends, and I say, people have no attention span anymore to finish a book and to begin it, to end it. I mean, I even find myself sometimes lagging. Oh, I have to finish this book. Why am I taking so long? And I get distracted, and I go on my phone, but that's what it is. It's that you have to push everything aside, and with this age of social social media, it's not easy. And people say, oh, I'll just read a poetry book. You know, you read one or two poems and you can stop, put it away. I find more and more people are reading poetry because of that. I know many people that have ADHD, ADD, that say they can't focus on a book, but poetry is easy for them. They can focus on one poem at a time and read it. So it's very true. I find that what you're saying is uh, this day and age, it's hard to get people to read novels. But again, there's the e-readers and there's short and there's Wattpad. I don't know if you've ever heard about Wattpad. 
So there you can actually read novels on your phone in quick segments of takes one minute, eight minute read. So I find like everything is so fast paced that in order to finish a novel and, on, uh, and to read it in a book format, it's more difficult. Whereas on your phone, you can read it easier now. I've read so many books on my phone. It's crazy. Primarily only read on my phone because I, I don't have time. Or if yeah. I can't fall asleep, I'll read it on my phone. And yeah. my wife doesn't like me to turn the, the lamp on because she can't sleep with the lamp on. That's it. So it's just kind of, it's just weird. Like you're right. Like it's easier. It's more accessible to, to read books these days. Yet the attention span is just not there anymore. It's not there. I, I feel like it's not there, but I folk, I try to force myself. And now that I have the summer off, I said, okay, I've read one or two books already, but uh, definitely with poetry, I find people are preferring poetry for those reasons. You can write a, you can read a poetry book. So now it, it'll take you literally half an hour sometimes to read a poetry book and you're done from beginning to end. And you say, oh, I read a book. <laughs> I come for something, but uh, trying to read a 500 page novel. Hmm. It's not easy nowadays, right? Everything is so mm -hmm. fast paced. And Would even you? to that point, I got a contract with a publishing company writing a 30K word count book, all right? So 30K, it's not a lot if you think about it, but it's still less than a hundred pages. And I've been writing it on my phone, first time in my life on Google Docs. But uh, let's say I'll sit outside and I'll just write it on my phone. So even as a writer, it's fast paced. I've never written this way before. I've always, I'm used to just doing it on my laptop, but with the phone, you can do so much. I've only ever written on my phone. Really? Uh, I, yeah. I, and I've been doing it, you know, on and off for like six, six, seven, eight oh, years wow. now. Okay. I only, I, you write scripts on your phone. You could do everything yeah. on your phone. My problem is uh, now that I'm not commuting into work anymore, my writing daily output or daily writing has tumbled because I used to set aside my commuting time to do all of my writing, work writing, personal writing, script okay. writing. So like I trained myself how to write when I'm being transported around. And now I'm having a major problem retraining myself and being disciplined again. So there is a danger to learning on how to write <laughs> on your phone if you're only yeah. writing when like you're commuting. Like I, so I do think it's, it's good for writers to still have that discipline of sitting down at the computer. That's, yeah. that's what I think. Yeah, yeah. No, I usually, I do that. I don't know. I usually sit on the computer, but lately, I don't know. I found the Google Docs and I, I've been working from phone to laptop and then I, the laptop died. I said, oh, it just died on me. <laughs> but I had actually written one book in a notebook. My, that uh, my crush, a paranormal romance novel, one of my first novels years ago, I wrote it by hand. Is that crazy? I don't even know why I did that. By hand. You were, so you're listed as one of the top 100 Canadian poets. I just want to know. Well, what, that what, was the Love and Vodka. You know that my book, okay, Love and Vodka. Yes, no, I just want to know what was that, what did that feel like when you got that news? You when I got like, that, oh my God. It was crazy because CBC did this voting for your best, they, they asked the public to vote for the top 100 books. And oh my, my book gosh. came in like 664, 64 or something. And my, I, I got a message on, it on, I don't know, notification on Twitter. And I said, oh my goodness, what is that? I didn't even realize. I was pretty shocked with that. I was very happy to see that and to read that people voted for my book. Yes. Congratulations. It was, it was thrilling. Thank you. I'm wondering, when you do come up with a collection, I'm assuming that there are a whole bunch of poems and then you decide which ones make it in the collection. What happens to the ones that were tossed out or how many are tossed out versus how many are kept? And the reason I ask that question is because I think that people who write or they want to write, they don't sometimes appreciate the value of the stuff that doesn't make it, that that's also still part of the process, that you can write a lot that 
isn't going to work out, but that that's all still an important part of getting better. So usually what I do is I have another file, which I'll name it, you know, garbage file or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> some crazy name, and I'll put everything in there and I will go through it later and I'll say, okay, maybe this is good. It's not. I literally will delete it if I don't like it. I'll say, okay, forget it. Or I'll work on it a bit more. I have files of poems that I've not done anything with. And I say, oh, one day, just it's those poems that you'll say one day, I'll go back to them and I'll work on them a bit because there's something that you like about them. Or you just say, forget my ego, forget it. They're just not good. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's that ego, the poet ego, you think, oh, this is good. It is good, but it's not. Sometimes it's just not good. They're not good enough. You just have to tell yourself, you know what? Forget about them. Out of all the topics that you've written about, I mean, a lot of them have to do with love, but there's pain, there's romance, there's the erotic. Is there anything that, let's say, somebody who read your work that they reached out to you that really, really resonated with you, where you realize that as a writer, you're not only expressing yourself, but that you are connecting to somebody else and somebody reached out with that connection. Do you have a memory of something like that? Yeah, I get messages all the time where people tell me they read my book and they like one poem in my book, in Love and Metaxa, there's a few uh, that reached out to me and told me which poems they liked and how they were touched by them, the connection. And I was so grateful that they actually reached out to tell me because you don't even know as a writer sometimes, if you don't have people reach out to you or write you an email, you'll say, okay, well, was that any good? Or what do people think of my work really? You know, so I'm very touched by people when they write that. One time what happened to me was really nice. I was doing um, a book signing and this girl came up to me and said, well, what are your books? What are your poetry books about? And what, so I write about love and heartache. Okay, well, can you just show me your, your favorite poem from this book? So she picked Your Ink on My Soul. That was my first self-published poem. And it was called 1979, that poem. So I said, here you go, you can read that. And everybody told me that that's their favorite poem of all time. Like, so she read it and she came back to me and she was in tears. I said, you're crying? Oh, wow. She said, yeah, that was so touching and beautiful. I said, thank you. I didn't expect that, but that was live. And to see somebody cry like that in front of me, I was really, that was the most touching, I'd say. And when I went to the Toronto uh, Festival last, was it two years ago, Word on the Street, one of my Twitter followers came and he bought all my books and he made me sign them. And he was such a sweetheart. And it was your poems and your tweets mean so much to me. And it's so nice to meet you. And he bought all my books. I was, (laughs) and he made me a beautiful card and he painted me a picture. And I still have it and I cherish it. Another person on Twitter sent me notebooks and with a pen. It was really nice. Yeah, people reach out and, you know, are grateful. Yeah, I think there's a fly fly in my place. I'm not like Mike Pence during that debate when a fly landed on his head. (laughs) All right. Um, Were you going to say something already? I was just, while you were beating away the fly, I was just going to (laughs) say, it's got to feel good. I mean, what you've been able to accomplish in that these are self-published and you have people out there that are voting you on the top 100 list in in a major country like Canada. And if that doesn't give you some of the validation as to, well, why... Why shouldn't I put my own work out there? You know, publishing houses, you know, for many reasons it didn't happen. I'm going to continue to do it because there's obviously there's readers out there that love what you're doing. And at the end of the day, and you're getting some enjoyment out of it and writing it, and there's readers out there that are reading it. I mean, that's that's like a grand slam, slam dunk, yeah. all wrapped up into one. I, I mean, you know, good yeah. for you. I mean, I, I'm working with a very good friend of mine who, you know, 
really wants to do more writing wise, but has never self-published, has, is afraid to dip his toe in the water. I've gotten him to go on to Medium and he's been publishing some of his poetry on Medium and he's getting a lot of great responses. So I've been really encouraging him to just say, hey man, if no one wants to publish it, do it on your own. And I'm trying to encourage him. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts about when people come to you and say, uh, you know, I got rejected. Maybe I'll just leave it in the desk drawer. What are you tell them about your self-publishing yeah. journey. Exactly. People always message me and questions like that all the time. So I always tell them to open a Word document and start writing. And whatever you write, whatever comes out, just keep going at it and going at it and don't stop to edit until you're finished and you feel like this is enough. 150 pages of poetry and then go back. But I feel that when you self-publish your work, let's say you even post it on Medium, that's a great place to put your art, your poetry as well is WordPress, Wix, uh, Blogger. WordPress especially is good because there's a whole community. So on WordPress, you can follow people who are poets. And that's how I started off. I started with WordPress and I find that that had a nice little community and you could read each other's poems, comment on each other's poems, like them and have the patience to read them because WordPress, you're going to say, okay, now I'm going to sit and I'm going to read poems. I'm not going to read one-liners on Instagram. I'm not going to read tweets. I'm going to read a poem. So you prepare yourself for WordPress. And everybody who's there is quite serious. I find if you're going to sit and open a WordPress account and you're going to put your name on there as a poet, you're going to have poetry, right? You're going to share work with you that's touched you and more narrative style poems, longer pieces. So I would tell your friend, open up a WordPress account, a blog, and start, you know, sharing your work. But you went beyond that. You actually published these books. Yeah, so what I did, well, yeah, so I opened up my WordPress account, and the way it worked out with me is that my niece at the time was following my blogs and my poetry, and she's, she was in her 20s, and she said, you know what, aunt, you have to really put your stuff on Instagram, and you have to start, you know, you should publish your work, and I said, oh, come on, forget it, I'm too old, (laughs) forget it. She's like, no, no, you have to do it. She took my phone, and this was in 2015. And she, she just opened an Instagram account for me. She took it from my hands and said, okay, there you go. Here's your Instagram account. This is what you're going to do. And she downloaded an app for me. And she said, just write your poems. And once I did that, I started sharing my poems on Instagram. I found this publishing company back then, and they were willing to publish my poems. And then I put together a whole manuscript that focused me. Like I was, became so focused on putting my poems together in a book that I, I made those three manuscripts at the same time. So I had drink on my soul in my own flat and love and vodka in 2015, 16. So I put those three manuscripts together and I said, oh, I'm just going to self-publish. And that's how it happened, really. And I had all those people following me because back then Instagram was becoming big. You know, it was just starting. There was no algorithm. So the poetry community exploded and it was a good time for me. And she just put me on there and I gained all these followers. And then everybody loved my poems. And I thought, oh, they really like my stuff. Okay. And that kind of gave me the momentum to do more and to create, take all my poems from young, all of them. I had stacks and, you know, on paper and then I typed them up and, and that's how those three books came about. This book that I, I focused more on editing and you'll see the poems are a bit more detailed and have more form and technique because they're edited by Alexandra Meehan. And the other ones were straight me, stream of consciousness, no editing. This is something that 
I've been drawn to poetry. I've been drawn to, to literature. And when I was studying philosophy, everything is about analytic, about argument, about structure. And it wasn't until later in my studies that I discovered the existentialists. And mm-hmm. I just absolutely fell in love with their work and their approach to valuing literature and sometimes being philosophical through literature and quoting poets because they realized that humanity and human existence and understanding the world can't be reduced to reason and logic. That is the role that art plays. I think Nietzsche said, if the world were ordered, art would not exist. And so I'm curious, since you are a poet, what role do you think poetry plays in culture? What is its significance? You know, if somebody were to say, oh, you know, you need to study science or you have to study engineering or or law or I don't know, like, what are you going to do with that? That kind of thing. There's a value to poetry. So I'm just curious, what do you find it to be in culture? Yes. Well, I do just on a side note, I do. I love philosophy and I even took philosophy courses and Jean-Paul Sartre and existentialism. And I was drawn to that. I found that fascinating. Definitely. And I just, as a poet, I believe that as, as, you know, there's people that love sports and that will die for sports and will not miss a game. Mm -hmm. People that love poetry will buy every poetry book and are obsessed with poetry. All right. So I find it plays a major role in our society for those people that love it and that will die for it and go to bookstores looking for it. And it's for the people that are more artistic and uh, not, it's not the whole world. It's only 11% of the population. I think that actually buys poetry books. So it's not for everybody. But I think it has a, an importance in society in the sense that people will still look up to it and listen to the great poets and be in awe of it because they are, they're not able to express themselves as poets do. So they will still listen and be, in, wow, wow, that's so true what they said. Did you know Socrates said this? Or, you know, Shakespeare said that. So people in general, the masses are in awe of that, but uh, not everybody will buy their books and, and listen. You know what I'm saying? Just even in uh, like when Joe Biden had the poets, Amanda Coleman said her poetry speech and everybody was in, wow, poet said something. Oh my yeah. God, you're right. Of course, it was a okay. poet. Of course. Everyone, she sold the show. Everyone was talking about it. her. Yeah. Nobody's talking about Joe Biden. Everybody was talking about the book. You're absolutely right. Oh my God. I almost forgot about that. It made such an impact on society. And I thought, you see how poetry is important? Like, but it's just people don't give enough emphasis to it. Politicians in general. Well, he did. Joe Biden did. So there you go. But I find there's not enough uh, exposure to poetry, even though there is more now. Even in school, in classes, in high school, people look upon poetry and they're like, oh, boy, I don't understand a thing. What is that? You know, they, they're not open to it in general. So whenever I say I'm a poet, oh, you, you're a poet. Most of half the people are like, well, I don't read poetry. I, I don't understand poetry. I don't know what happens to you, but it happens to me a lot. People will, will not, even if they buy my book, sometimes it's... I don't really understand half the poems, but they're really good. (laughs) (laughs) There's something about, I mean, really good poems. I think what I love is that getting lost in reading them that for a moment, you almost forget that you're reading you. It's like being a wave in the ocean. There's something about it just sweeping you away. Or they take you, like you're listening to somebody's story. I mean, you're reading somebody's story and then you can just listen. You feel like you're there and you're Mm -hmm. part of it. Or you can remember your own memories and look back and think of that. I find you can correlate so much the connection when you read somebody else's poetry. Recently, I read a great poetry book, Ada Limon, and I'm just blown away by her poems. They're just, just something simple as planting in her backyard and gardening, you know, those simple poems that reflect on time because I find a lot of poetry reflects more on time and the present moment so when you're reading it you have to be there you can't focus on what they're talking about and they could be in one poem they could talk about I mean when they were a child they were married 
I find that you could talk so much. There's so much in one poem, basically, that you can connect to. Yeah. Let's just say a listener, you know, who's not going to publish any poetry, has never given it a shot. Mm. But let's just challenge that listener. I've got this stupid fly around here. It keeps landing on me. Oh, my God. This might be an, a need to be an all-video uh, podcast uh, yeah. episode because watch, watching you pull a pence so is pretty uh, pretty, pretty, pretty so write a po- wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Let's write, write a poem, a poem about right it. now. Yeah. Fly. <laughs> Damn you. Fly away, fly. <laughs> I shall swat you now. Die. <laughs> How's that? Is that pretty good? That was pretty good, right? That's not, you know, um, I, I, it's, it, it, it was right on the fly. Oh, that's pretty good. That's it. That's the name of that poem. Well, on the well fly. Done. There you go. Okay, it will what be do done. I, it will I, be I, done tonight. Do I have talent? And do I have I'll talent? put. It, of course, you have talent. Oh, you're not asking me. You're asking the actual poet. <laughs> um, well, okay. Let's just say if we were to yeah. challenge a listener to tonight, write a poem. What is it? Not for publication or yeah, anything like that. Like a, what like is it that a person? Yeah, in the same way that like going for a walk can do something for you. What if somebody takes that challenge and tries to write a poem tonight, tonight. Um, after listening to this? Mm-hmm. What is it that they will learn from doing that activity? What do you think a person has to gain from trying to write a poem? Well, I think that it's important you do writing prompts. If you want to be a poet, it's not just writing about your heartache and oh, it's too boring, right? So you have to do writing prompts and put yourself, take yourself out of yourself. And then I had a book back in university and it had about so many, it had about a hundred writing prompts. And one of them was, let's say, uh, pretend you're in a foreign city and you're walking through the city. What do you see? And you just have to write a poem about that. And you're just imagining things, you know, imagery, right? Whatever you feel, hear, taste, your five senses, bring your five senses into that poem. So if somebody's listening to me now, I would say, go take a walk, which nature is always inspiring and use your five senses and describe that walk without using the word walk. You know, things like that. Show, don't tell. I agree with you. I would challenge a listener to write a poem about a fly. I mean, that's well, I mean, that, that's a writing prompt right there. That's I mean, it. Seriously. Write a poem about a fly. <laughs> I'd just end up doing Jeff Goldblum. Like, that would be the <laughs> Oh, didn't he? There's so many roads you can go down with yeah. that writing prompt. That's pretty good. But a writing prompt, I mean, it could be anything. You could say write a writing prompt about when you were a child. I find writing prompts help you to write better. There's so many great books out there, or, or even, well, now there's the internet, so you can find tons, tons of writing prompts, especially on Twitter. I've always thought about poetry and um, was a musician, or at least like to call myself one back when I was in high school. I was really in a bunch of, a bunch of punk bands and I was yeah. a terrible lyricist. The way I, I always thought about poems and poetry where, yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying about, hey, there weren't a lot of poetry books yes, um, yes. around, but music really. I mean, when you come with rock and roll and the explosion and the availability yeah. of it, I've always thought, well, you know, songs are just poems. It's just now put to music. And that uh, another way to view poetry is, is looking at music lyrics. I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Okay. I, yeah, I'm, I believe that a lot. I believe that there's so many poets out there that are lyricists, starting with Jim Morrison, starting with Bono, Bob Dylan, you know, they're storytellers. You listen to their music and you connect not only through their words, but through their music and the guitar playing. And I find that that's the first person that I was attracted to, the rock poet, 
Jim Morrison. I listened to his albums. I read the lyrics. I had his books. I love his poetry. He's one of my favorite poets ever. And he's not, he's really a rock star, but he's known for his poetry. And I connected to them on a deep level. I even typed them out in class. I, I just felt like there was something surreal in his poems. And he studied poetry. He studied the classics. He studied film. So he was gifted and he's a special case altogether. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really connect with rock music and with poetry and with lyrics. And when I write, I'm always listening to music and I love it. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I find that you, there's a big connection. You should try the uh, punk rock poet, uh, Rudy Sallow. His, uh, oh, his, yeah. uh, his stuff out there is <laughs> really, really low, very low brow. Uh, it's really more like haikus, which, oh uh, which are not real but poems. <laughs> it's funny because my son is, a, is in the rock band and he's, he writes the lyrics and he's a po- he loves to write poetry as well. I, I mean, something that I think is interesting just about poetry as an art form that if somebody were to say like this is what I'm going to study, this is what I'm going to do, um, how it might be kind of hard to sell people on that. You know, everybody's worried. But then, you know, and Rudy and I have done a couple shows on comedy, which I would just I'll go ahead and put this in the same genre of art that comedians or people who are working on that, if somebody's telling their parents I'm going to go be a comedian, you know, it might be frightening. But when you think about the structure of a society, if there is a society where there is a strong, like a dystopian society where there's a strong control the first thing to go are the arts, which to me shows that they are actually far more valuable and they're more indicative. It's an, it's an expression of emotion, of freedom, of individuality, and allows us to connect with each other on levels where sometimes maybe we feel more vulnerable or afraid to, like the issue of love, like the issue of romance. I mean, it's something that's connecting with another love story or another heartbreak, I think can be extremely healing to either write about or to read about. And it will make you feel human. I think that that's, it's a value in and of itself. Yeah, that's why people are attracted to romance novels. <laughs> yes. Right? Well, so I was going to ask you, all right. <laughs> so I, have, I was thinking about this and I kind of want to parallel this with uh, an author who's in the mystery crime genre. And her name is Jan Burke. And I had a chance to hear her give a lecture at Cal State Fullerton. And she had responded to the question of, are the mystery novels like those John Grisham type books, are they really literature? And she defended that the entire mystery genre, actually in crime novels and all that stuff, that it hinges on a concept of justice. And that that is one of the reasons that it's valued. Because when somebody is murdered, it is up to everybody else to step in for justice for that person. And that that is part of the value. That's an underscoring idea. And I never thought about it that way. And I want to parallel it with the romance genre. How would you respond to a criticism of, does this count as literature? Or what is its value? What does it really give us? That's a good question. But I would think that romance, because it's all about relationships, and what do we think about love? And how do we interpret sex? And what do you think about this man and the attraction? Do we like that person? Do we not? Is it true love? Is it our soulmate? I mean, all these questions, most like a lot of women ask them, but there's men that ask them as well. There's men that read my romance novels, don't think it's just women, and I have (laughs) reviews to prove it. So I know that men and women, they want to know more about relationships. And if you read about romance and you read a book, you know, that has all these, you know, themes, then you learn a bit more about yourself as well. Every time I read a book about romance, I think, oh yeah, I understand what that person is saying, or I know what's going on here. And you connect with that. 
because you're, you also want to ask those questions and answer your own questions with relationships. You know, why did I get divorced with that person? Or how come I broke up with that? And then you see similarities and then you can relate to them, I find. And romance is just part of our culture and our, we're obsessed with romance and love and heartache <laughs> and sex mm-hmm. and all this, you know, it's just in music, it's everywhere in art. And uh, it's a great escapism. I read somewhere recently a tweet somebody put, you know, the best escape is romance novels from this crazy Twitter world or something because you just don't want to watch the news anymore. You don't want to watch. You just want to sit it with a good book and lose yourself in somebody's love affair. That's what I, and as a young girl, I remember going and reading historical romances back then. I read everything, all the historical romances. And I was just 15 years old and I just, fell in love with all of them and even like Philippa Gregory and all these other ones that are recent these recent writers the last 10 years uh, it's about romance and love but there's always something deeper and a connection you always want to find that connection between two people because it's boring it's just about sex I'm not talking about that you know so uh, you always want to find some connection between the heroine or the heroine or on that note can we talk a little bit about the wanting because yes I really enjoyed I really enjoyed your book and I remember being so in awe of the twist that you put on this erotic romance is would it be considered erotic romance it it is or is it erotic erotic romance yeah okay erotic yeah so I um but I thought that the twist of it was so interesting that the two main characters that you're reading about their relationships with others and then so yeah, I, wait, I don't to, want to give any spoilers. No, so. don't give it away. But I wanted to show two different relationships mm-hmm. and the connections that they both had and that the difference between a love connection and just a sexual lustful connection and to reflect on their own, their past and how come they're like this and what makes you make these decisions and what's the cause and the effect of this. And is there such a thing as a soulmate? Because I did end the book with a question, I, you know, I'm not going to give it away, but I wanted to just reflect on, on two relationships and not just two characters. So four in essence. You know, as I started writing that book, I I didn't even know where it was going, to be honest with you. I had no idea. I just from a poem. So I wrote a poem and it was just a poem of two different people talking to each other in their head, my head. And then from that poem, that's the prologue. Usually when I write, I don't really have outlines. I just go with it, see where it takes me. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, I was just thinking about how the genre can be quite static where it's just, you know, two very good looking people, they meet, there's an obstacle and then they get back together. And then when I read The Wanting, I was just like, wow, she really did something amazing. Stayed true to the notion of erotic romance, but was just far more clever in talking about the connection that people can have and didn't go by that structure. And yeah, yeah, I've just really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. And it's it's coming out again with Wild Rose Press. So that's exciting. Do you think the future is self-publishing? I'm I'm just, I mean, with Amazon and everything. If you, if you're able to promote, because you know what, even you're with traditional publishing, you still have to promote yourself. You still have to do all the, whatever, trust me, you're doing the same stuff. Cause even I see that with the wild rose press, even though I have a contract, I have to promote myself. I have to make my own little Instagram posts. I have to go on. I have to go on Goodreads. You're doing the same amount of work, but at least you have a company behind you that is publishing your work. That's a difference, right? Because as a self, you're still doing the same amount of work. Trust me, I've done both. And I see that, oh boy, you know, you really have to work your butt off when you're promoting your book, whether you're self-published or traditional, unless you're Stephen King. (laughs) The rest of us, the rest of the world, they're 24 seven on social media. I follow big authors and I see they're on there promoting their books just as I am. You know what? I follow Stephen King. I follow him on Twitter. I follow him on, I follow Reddit. Stephen King is on uh, Twitter and he's on, he's on social media. He's 
very active. He's man yeah. savvy as all hell. So even Stephen King even Stephen is promoting King. himself. I think is it's one, so hard. It's a lot it, of work. It's dreaming. You need to hire somebody just to do your social media. And some days you want to do nothing. It's I find it draining. That's the one thing if I have to say, like I'd rather be at home. I, I'd rather not go on there at all, but you have to. Is the best way to approach writing and, and really, which I mean, I'm glad that you brought up Stephen King and, and like mm-hmm. his success level, which is, let's yeah. just put that into the, the atmosphere because it's untouchable. <laughs> Let's bring it to us. Yeah, let's bring it to, I mean, the way I approach it is, yeah, I like to write. I need to have a day job. I, I need to, you know, put food on the table. I need to put money into the kids' college funds. I, yes, you know, yes. student debt, all the, I mean, my wife's student debt and everything like that. We got to pay the bills. That's not going to stop me from writing. I write because I enjoy it and I love it. And it's a passion of mine. Yes. If it turned into something that would lead to a little bit of money, great. But I think the most important thing is to actually have a day job that you enjoy. So the writing becomes a little less stressful and more enjoyable. You have to do it with your heart and soul. Really, you do. Do you have a favorite place to write? Like, is there okay. is so, there a setting where you sit down and you're like, okay, yeah. this is my Look, time. This is the writing. I built myself a nice office, uh-huh. writing room about two years ago. So I come in here and I love it in here. The thing is, sometimes you want to go outside and get some fresh air yeah. You want to, and you write outside, especially when the weather's nice. But I live in Canada, so it's freezing. So we usually <laughs> outside. <laughs> and in the summer that I'm off, then I'm, I'm writing. Well, you have a really active Twitter account just talking about social media. Yeah. What is something that, because you, you are part of also a Poets, it was the Aerial Poets? Yeah, so what, with my Twitter account, um, I try to go on there every day, pretty much active, tweet something here and there, just mm-hmm. like to keep it going and uh, to interact, to see my notifications, because sometimes I get messages from people that have read my book or, you know, or, get, or photos. So I try to look every day. And I've created with my friend Alexandra Mihan, who's the editor, an aerial poets account so yeah. about four or five years ago i told her i have this idea it's it's something that i really want to do i want to help people and you know give some inspiration to poets and just write an account about poetry just focus on that you know not to retweet people but just to give some kind of inspiration and uh so we share it and with alexandra and we just go on it and find nice quotes from poets like mary oliver maya Angelou, sylvia plath and sexton so we find, kind of find nice quotes that have to do with women and writing to inspire them and then i have my personal account that i you know just go on and it's, it's still a lot of work because every day you have to go on there and do mm-hmm. something right so it takes a lot of your time but i started my twitter account way in 2000 2009 long time ago when I when I opened up my blog I started the Twitter account so yeah. it's been a pretty organic raw account you know and, I love uh, it it's great and the Aero Poets I love it I don't like, yeah I don't retweet a lot of people I just go on there write something look at my notifications and then I'm off back mm-hmm. to writing you know because it takes a lot of effort to do like to focus on Twitter so, so sometimes you don't want to get too distracted which you can you go down that tunnel of Twitter and then you're like, what, suddenly watching you know all these memes and and your time is gone so i end up on makeup tutorials <laughs> yeah i don't yeah i mean gwen's been, gwen's been, gwen's been spending a lot of time on tiktok lately oh too. that's what i end up yeah. now that's another then, one <gasps> that's actually worse. that's worse. it is it is gwen do you hear that i know you're, you're doing it to promote the pod but maybe, maybe you could be writing i need i know what do you, what do you should be writing well, it's always we should be writing right i know it's, i'm sitting having a coffee with my mom and it's like 
God, I should be writing right now. Stop thinking about that. Just be in the moment. <laughs> you know, that's the thing with, with writing is that you never really, I mean, Rudy talks about never really taking a, a holiday, you know, as a lawyer, but I think that writing is actually really similar. Like you don't really have a, a time off from that. Your brain never rests. And my, I'm so active in my brain all the time that it's never resting. Only when I sleep. That's why I just pass out at night. <laughs> my husband's like, oh my God, like literally five seconds. Because my brain, I'm always thinking, I'm always I'm curious, is there a poet that you can think of who is maybe underrated, like who should be more known, that someone's okay. work that you really admire? Uh, recently, I, fin- like, I finished two poetry books. Uh, one that I love was Tiana Clark and Ada Limon. Like Tiana Clark, should, it was incredible, her poetry book. She's, she's a young writer. For, I don't know where she's from, but she's really good. Tiana uh-huh. Clark. Uh-huh. Yeah, she's a professor, I think, as well. And Ada Limon, well, she has her accolades. She's really well-known right now. But other ones that have recent, I'm trying to, recent, right? Contemporary. Oh, I'm, I'm just curious, just in your opinion, if, you're, if you've read somebody and you were blown away and thought, gosh, well, well, a black and sex person. <laughs> What's that? Sylvia Plath and Anne Sexton always blew me away. Every time I read them, they're my number one. Especially mm-hmm. Anne Sexton, she's my number one. Every time I read her poems, I'm in awe of her words and her sentences and her structures. But she's the number one for me. When I was 19 years old and I went into a used bookstore and I just picked it up for five cents. Five cents. I still have it. The Selected Poems of Anne Sexton. And I just, who is this? Hmm. I had heard about her, but we didn't study her because you didn't really study a lot of women poets back then. Not that much. And Isn't it interesting that now poetry almost seems to be, or the arts seem to be almost a feminine endeavor, but when you're studying it, it's all dudes. Yeah. We're studying Wordsworth and Wolf. Yeah. I mean, it was just, well, I mean, it was all just uh, old the Victorian era, especially like Dante. There was Rossetti. We did study Elizabeth Rossetti and a few, you know, sonnets of the Portuguese. We, there were a few women that we did read, but it was mostly men, definitely. Yeah, uh-huh. there was Hart Crane. I remember reading the, in the Norton Anthology of Modern Poetry. There was all the modern New York poets. We read HD, one woman or two, a few, but not that many. And I took one women's study. There was the first ever women's study, cl- study uh, class back then. And we were reading, I mean, nothing great. Jane Austen and I don't know what we were reading. It was nothing great. And I was just not impressed that much. If we were in school now, it would be a different story. Something that struck me in your book that you included. I was at the very beginning. You Mm -hmm. had a quote from Charles Bukowski. It said, you have to die a few times before you can really live. And I'm curious about what that particular statement means to you. Okay, well, I love Bukowski. Love, love, love. I've read most of his poetry books and his novels. And I just find that you always read, when you reach rock bottom, you feel like you're, oh, I can't get up. I can't get out of bed. Or I'm, I'm just, right now, I need to be revamped. I need something, a new energy. I need something, another path in my life. And that's when you get up and you're born again, as they say. I find like recently, I just, I went to see somebody. I won't say anything more than that. And she guided me and helped me in meditation and in uh, basically finding out what more can I do? And she said to me, do you know that you can paint? And I said, I can't paint for my life. I don't even know how to paint. And suddenly I bought canvases and I went just crazy and I bought and I started to paint. And I'm like, oh, they're not bad. People are telling me you you actually know how to paint. I said, well, I don't know where it came from, but... That's kind of what I mean, where you don't realize like your path, you go one, one path and then you're just done with people and with society and yourself. And you say, okay, I'm going to go down another path. Because Bukowski, when you read his poems, he could go on and on about a cup of coffee for two pages. 
But within that two pages and a cup of coffee, you found out, you know, he had sex with his neighbor, uh, the dog is barking. Like there's so many details in his poetry. And then it's like, you go down another path again. So it just keeps on changing. And uh, I find he inspires me as well because I like his poems. So I put the, that. Person. You like Bukowski? You guys like him? You ever I read? read a long time ago. Okay. Yeah, I've only read a little bit. Uh, I had a lot of friends in college that were big fans of his. I love the movie Barfly, which is, yeah, which is loosely ba- loosely based on him. And I think I've been to a couple of the bars where he frequented just to kind of on like a little Bukowski tour. Okay. I clearly need to read more of it. I just, this quote was so good. I wanted to get yeah. your thoughts as to why yeah. you included it. Well, Christina, thank you so much. Oh my God, the hour's gone already. That was fast. <laughs> That was great. Well, thank you so much. Good, good. I'm glad. I'm so glad that you joined the show. And you are our first poet on the show, oh, which is very cool. Thank you so much for having me. That was great. Nice Anything to meet else? you. Good luck with the book. Um, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out the show notes so that you can get links to Christina's work. And if you get The Wanting, her erotic romance novel, or one of her collections of poems, Take a screenshot of it and tag us. Good is in the details pod on Instagram. And if you would like to support the show, we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash good is in the details. We have all sorts of extra good stuff for you there. If you would like to become a sponsor of the show or advertise with us, or if you have any questions, good is in the details pod at gmail.com. If you are enjoying the show and you're listening on Apple podcasts, please scroll down to the bottom and hit that five-star review. Let us know what you think. Okay, I hope you're still wearing your masks. Looks like we might still be in lockdown, but we're not hoarding toilet paper. That's good. (laughs) Okay, until next time. Bye.